0: Welcome back to season two of The Rebel Entrepreneur, and we have so much to share with you. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us, to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So this is the first episode of season two. We've been off air for a few months whilst we've been working out what to do. And I am back with my co-founder, Mr. Simon Payne. Mr. Alan Donegan. Fancy hearing you here. I know. I know. Welcome back. Happy New Year. We're actually recording this in January 2021. And, well, here's to making this one of the best years ever, Simon.
1: Absolutely. Well, we've got a reasonable benchmark, haven't we, for last year? I think we've we got do. a good chance to make it better than last year.
0: And we also have with us today, Katie Coombs is back. Welcome back to the show. Katie Coombs, lead trainer at Pop-Up Business School and all-round legend.
2: Good morning, Alan. Hello. Hello, Simon. Lovely to uh, hear you both. And uh, yeah, 2021. 2021. I'm very, very excited and quite hopeful at the moment for this year. I love January. I feel like it's a clean slate and we can get going. So I'm really excited about being on the podcast too. So thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, welcome back. And we wanted to start this episode for you with what we think are the key guiding principles. So in the two-week long course of Pop-Up Business School, we cover a huge amount of content. And then right on the last day, we do a section that's called the 12- pop-up principles. And these are the guiding principles, the ideas that help us to build businesses, manage our life, and be successful in the world. And we wanted to start season two with these guiding principles for you that will help you pretty much no matter the project you're doing. That's the plan. When you deliver the guiding principles, Simon, Katie, what's people's reaction? How do you feel when you deliver these principles?
1: there's always at least one and when i deliver it i actually i stare at people i stare at their faces and i say to them <laughs> one of these principles was the one that you were meant to hear today and when i say it you're going to feel like my eyes are burning into your soul and uh, i hold the room and i hold the silence for a little bit too long till to everyone gets uncomfortable and then the people that I've met during the course, I know which ones are the ones that were meant for them. So I make sure <laughs> I stare at them. <laughs> so they always land. And I think people always write them down with fury. You know, they scribble them down. And then I tell them at the end, well, we're going to send these to you. What did you write them down for? And they t- and they say, why didn't you tell us that at the start? And I say, because that wouldn't be so much fun. But they're always, the principles always land. And do you know what, Alan? We wrote these a long time ago. And I started tinkering. I tried to tinker with them this morning, but you two battered me down and went, no, no, they're good. Shut up.
0: Yeah. Stop tinkering. Stop tinkering, Simon. Sorry. Um, And I have a similar thing. I stare at people. So if you're listening to the podcast now, imagine Simon, Casey and my eyes looking at you if this principle is meant for you. So should we dive straight in? Let's dive straight in. Casey, would you like to introduce the first one?
2: And um, when I, just to say, when I uh, when I start to talk about them, I find that the themes that have, actually I say to the people, I've been banging on about these for the past week when I'm leading the pop-up business school, and maybe you'll recognise some of them. But I've never been as direct as I'm about to be. When well, I'm going to tell you exactly the twelve themes, the twelve tips, the things that if you follow, you've got a good chance of succeeding. They're not rules though, because I mean, there's no there's no rule book here there is no easy steps to starting a business but there are t- these are 12 great straightforward easy to understand principles that if you apply not only to your business to but your, your life you'll feel better you'll enjoy yourself more so i kind of go for that you've asked me to do number 1 and i've been going on about the whole thing uh, the number one principle is everything you want is waiting for you outside your comfort zone i mean if I really notice and listen to those words for a second, I'll I'll repeat them because I think it's one of those phrases that sometimes it's on a mug or people say it and they've not really connected with the words. So really notice the words. Everything you want is waiting for you outside your comfort zone. If you really think of it, it's a bit, oh my God moment. Comfort is the enemy of achievement. When we're feeling comfortable, and believe me, I like to feel comfortable, just like every. I like Netflix and eating crisps like everybody else. (laughs) Doesn't everyone like Netflix and eating crisps? Uh, I like to put my feet up, I like to relax. However, there's a time and place for that. And if I think about when I'm feeling uncomfortable, it's probably because I'm doing something I need to be doing and should be doing. I'm achieving, I'm moving forward, I'm changing things, I'm living on what I call on purpose. You know, people see a, a line called, you know, purposeful living. I say living on purpose. I'm doing this on purpose right now. I'm engaged with it and I'm doing it. In fact, just doing, coming on here on the, on the podcast, it is uncomfortable for me. And that's why I know I'm in exactly the right place. So I apply this, this rule of being uncomfortable to all areas of my life. And I, I think it's a nice little thing to do if you wanted to try it. So even when I go to the gym, so recently I was I was at the gym before they locked them again, and I have a friend who's a personal trainer, and she uh, we were doing a little a circuit of high intensity interval training, girls, hit for those of you who are familiar with it, and we have like a, a circuit of a number of different things, and uh, she was writing down what we we're going to do, and she went number five, you like this one, Alan, burpees. Oh, oh, oh love a good suey. burpee. Oh, yeah, sweet so burpees. Oh. I said, of all the other things you've got, planks, and I don't know, uh, we were doing high plank runs and all sorts of things, burpees. I said, it's just so uncomfortable. And she just looked at me and went, Well, that's, we're definitely going to do those twice then, because it is the best, (laughs) (laughs) it is the best exercise and it is uncomfortable because it's the best thing and you're just trying to stay away from it. So I think the idea that being outside your comfort zone, and really focusing on those tasks that make you feel uncomfortable, they're the ones you should be doing. So if it's phone calls to clients or potential customers, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, the thought of it, you need to be doing it. You need to be doing it. It's this idea that I think we sometimes as humans process discomfort as danger. Oh, it feels uncomfortable. Oh, my gut's saying I shouldn't do this. And I think we're over-processing excitement to some extent. It's not dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. And I think if you look at things that we shy away from as people, which are excitement, um, but we, we label them as uncomfortable. A couple of years ago, I took my daughter, Kitty, she was seven then, to see um, a group called Max and Harvey. They're a duo of two teenage boys. She's mad about them. And they were on at the university. So I said she could go. It was a first concert. And I noticed on the um, when I was booking, it said, for a meet and greet, a meet and greet, an extra £10. So I thought, hang on, <laughs> we'll do that. She'll love that. Because, you know, uh, I, I think Max and Harvey would be to I don't know, Beyonce and Jay-Z for me. They're big in her life. Um, so I said, you know, you know we're going to go and see them. But I didn't tell her until a couple of days before that I'd bought a meet and greet. She was absolutely beside herself and so excited and started to build this up to a massive thing. She was going to meet Max and Harvey. So we got all sorts of instructions of where we had to go and we, and we had to go down to the university and we joined this never-ending queue of teenage girls who were also meeting Max and Harvey. Teenage girls, their mums, and Kitty and I. Um, and we were in this queue for, I think, close to three hours. Now, for those wow. of you who've got children, yeah, three hours. A queue of teenage girls, overexcited teenage girls. They're kind of bored, angry mums for being there too. And we forgot to bring snacks. And for those of you who are... Parents, you'll know how important snacks are. So we didn't have any snacks and we were in a massive long queue. Anyway, it started to move and we got really, you know, close to the front after all those hours. We we're tired, we were emotional. I mean, that was just me. Kitty was very excited. And as we got towards Max and Harvey, there was kind of bright lights where they were all lit up and the cameras were because you had your photo taken with them. And um we got close and she went, Mum? I was like, Go on, Kit, there's Max and Harvey. Mum. I said, like, What is it, Kit? I can't do it. I was like, what, could, what, what do you mean you can't do it? She was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. We need to go. We need to go. And she was pulling me to, to leave after all that time. So my first instinct was kind of the, the, I shouted a bit. I was like, come on, Kitty, you've got to go and we've waited all this time and we need to come. Look, they're just there. Come on. And I was like quite cross with her. And then I thought, of course, it just feels uncomfortable. It's excitement. It's just excitement. So I took her and I gave her that comfort zone talk. And I said, look, it's just because you're feeling comfortable because you're excited about something and you've never done it before. She's like, I can't, I can't do it. And we're getting closer and closer. And we were just about, just about to, we were two behind. And she was like, pulling me away. I was like, go on, Kit, see if you can do it. She was like, there's just no way. She was almost crying. I think she was crying at this point. I think I might have been crying at this point. And as just as we were turning away, she just walked, let go of my hand and walked towards them. Had a picture taken with them, met them, and they were lovely boys and they were really nice to her. I met her at the other side and she just went, she just punched the air and went, Mum, I got out of my uncomfortable. And at that moment, I realized it was just excitement and she'd processed it as danger. And she's got this picture on a wall, massive poster on a wall of her meeting Max and Harvey. And that is her reminder that sometimes when it feels uncomfortable, it doesn't mean it's dangerous or it's bad. It's actually some of the greatest things we're going to do are going to feel uncomfortable. And that was my story about comfort zones.
0: I love that, Casey. I love that. I actually have a little build to everything you want outside, is outside your comfort zone that I deliver, which is everything you want is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. And I think there's an interesting bit that if you were comfortable getting what you wanted, you would have already done it. And it's the fact that you have to get uncomfortable that makes this stuff hard. And, yeah, one other reflection, Casey. Um, I'm sorry that Simon makes you uncomfortable coming on the podcast.
2: (laughs) 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 The whole idea of podcasting makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) Not just Simon? Not just Simon, no, no. No, Essentially, both of you. I think it's just the alien of sitting here talking to a microphone and I can't see your faces.
1: Alan, let's run a poll across every single person that we've met at the Pop-Up Business School since 2012 and ask them, who makes them feel more uncomfortable? Is it Simon (laughs) or Alan?
0: (laughs) I think I would probably win that poll, Simon.
1: Dude, you make me uncomfortable. You You may be so uncomfortable we started a business together.
0: But I think actually that's the bit, is I make people uncomfortable because... I have no limits and I want to make things happen. So when they say I have a dream, when they say I want to launch a business, I say, okay, let's do it. And that makes people feel uncomfortable because they're going, oh, I've got to step outside my comfort zone. I've got to go and do it now. Alan's not going to take any excuses. And I think that's one of the pieces here. You shouldn't take excuses from yourself as to why you should do it or you shouldn't do it. You should just get on with it and make it happen. And the worst that happens is, It doesn't work. And we go home and see our family. We build up our confidence again and we have another go. Because it doesn't always work first time. It doesn't always work out. But that's okay. That's okay. And I think one of the things Casey said here was processing excitement as danger. There's actually very little that can go wrong. Like if you go and make a sales call, what's the worst that could happen? Someone rejects you. You're not going to die from making sales calls. You're not going to die from launching your business. And if you launch your business without debt, all you've really got to lose is a little bit of time and energy. And I think this is what it is. So if we minimize the risks and there aren't that many risks, you're risking your ego, you're risking your confidence. And those can seem like incredibly big things, but they will bounce back.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's a thing on that I say sometimes, which is, can I go home for my tea afterwards? So I use that as a little measure as well of, of something that's making me feel uncomfortable. And I think, well, can I do this? Well, can I go home for my tea now? My tea is my dinner. I say tea here in Manchester, and that's probably your dinner where everybody else lives. So I say, can I go for my tea afterwards? Yeah. So it'll be okay. I'll either succeed, it'll either go well, but the worst thing that can happen is I'll survive as long as I can get the train or go home for my tea and see my family at the end of the day. It's okay. I can give this a go. And I use that as a little measure all the time. If I'm feeling uncomfortable, it's the right thing to do. Can I go home afterwards? Yeah. What's the worst thing that can happen here? They'll say no. Okay, well, that's, I'll survive this. It will be okay. It's not the end of the world. And I think that having your own business is really, it feels uncomfortable most of the time. If I think back to running my own business for years, the whole thing was kind of uncomfortable, <laughs> There were some highs and some <laughs> lows, but a lot of it was uncomfortable because every day there's a new challenge. Every day there's something different to, to, to handle. And a lot of the conversations you have, things you have to do, they're uncomfortable because you're growing all the time and you're learning and you're making your mistakes. You know, to make good decisions, you have to make some bad decisions to learn.
1: Now she tells me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> shush! You see, I spend a lot of time with the kids, so when I don't like something, I just like, say shush. shush. I like
1: that.
2: <laughs> I'm not. Go- <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, so I uh, I love the uncomfortable thing. I think it's a massively important thing, but I think that still people don't really notice what it's about. It's a great principle. It's a great way to live. As long as you can go in for your tea and you can watch Netflix and have a packet of crisps afterwards, I think you know you can
0: do it. I love that, KC. So principle number one, everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise you'd already have it. So, and I think we could actually build on that. Simon, maybe you could introduce the second one, fail fast and fail cheap. Because I think this actually builds on it.
1: No, I'm not going to, Alan. But actually I will, but in a minute. There's something that just popped in my head as you were just wrapping up that session then with Katie about, I don't know, we've, we've labored this point, but I had a a great conversation with the lovely Gillian Johnsrood from the Everyday Courage podcast. And the conversation I had with her was around comfort zones. She said, you don't have to sit in it, though. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, and her analogy, and and this is a really nice one, it was about splashing around in the swimming pool. She said, if you can't swim and you're not a very good swimmer, maybe you've swum a bit and you launch yourself into the deep end of a cold pool, You'll be splashing around for a bit and it's going to be quite uncomfortable. Don't stay in the pool. After you've splashed around a bit for a while, you can get out of the pool. You can sit on the side. You can wrap yourself in a towel, have a hot chocolate. This is the Netflix moment. You know, just give yourself a hug, have a snack and just relax and get the energy up to go again. And I think what I've been doing on and off over the years is sitting in the uncomfortable 24-7. And that's good in some ways because it means that we make progress, but sometimes we need to rest. And, and sort of matching your biorhythm and your energy to when you're feeling that you, you're ready to get out of your comfort zone, knowing that I need to get out of my comfort zone to make progress, but also rewarding yourself and congratulating yourself and giving yourself a hug once you've done that for a bit, because that gives you the strength and the energy to go again.
0: I love that, Simon. Let's move on to principle two. Because we spent 20 minutes on the first principle. Uh, This is, um, yeah, we need to move on to the second one to keep this thing moving for all of us.
1: Uh, Are we failing fast and failing cheap now, Alan?
0: Well, I do feel it actually builds. Shush now, shush. (laughs) Yes, shush. Yes, because I feel as though it actually builds on everything you want is outside your comfort zone because failing fast and failing cheap takes away some of that risk. That's why I thought we'd go to that one. Did you have an idea of going to a different one?
1: No, no, let's go there because I've tried failing slow and failing expensive and I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) I think that's a good place to start. And I think, you know, I call my first business experiment, my 22,000 pound MBA, because I learned a whole bunch about how not to do business. And what took me in business in the first place is I was kind of looking around at, at others going, well, I'm sure I'm prepared to work harder than these people. I'm sure my ideas are better. I'm sure I'm smarter. I'm going to launch a business because these guys are killing it. And then after about six months and I'm rocking gently in the corner of my bedroom, staring at a computer screen that wasn't providing either the answers or the Lamborghini or the yacht that I'd promised myself from this journey into entrepreneurship that I thought, actually maybe I've got this wrong here. And I think it was through a process of trying and failing, trying and failing, meeting you. We tried and failed a few things succeeded in a few things too. And it just became so clear to me that you just need to speed up the process and de-risk the process. So, you know, I was taking four or five weeks to send a small number of emails because fear was holding me back from going big. But actually, if I'd have gone big, I had nothing to lose other than finding out a lot faster whether this business idea was going to work or not. And actually it took me a good 18 months to realize that it wasn't going to work. And that's because I was failing slow and failing expensively. There was too much risk and I'd spent money. I was spending money on living. I was spending my savings to give me the, the chance to, to launch a business and not, not needing a job. You know, I burned the boats and I was up and running, but I just, I wasn't doing the second part of that, which was to don't send 10 emails, you know, send a thousand, do it in two weeks. Because at the end of those two weeks, you'll learn how to write a good email, you'll learn what your strike rate is going to be, and you'll learn what following up feels like rather than <laughs> taking it over you know, a year, 18-month period And it just takes too long. So fail fast and fail cheap is part of this jigsaw puzzle of getting something started and increasing the chances that you're either going to get the results that you want much faster or you're going to get the results you don't want much faster, which means you're then able to tack and change direction and, and to do something else. So anybody that's listening to this, I would say to them, this is such a powerful I mean they all are, but this one is is for me is one of the ones that, to lean into because this is the thing that's going to get you the results you do or don't want faster.
0: Which actually if we look at and we talk a lot about this, Simon, the traditional way to start a business and we see that as the opposite of this principle. We see that as failing slowly and failing expensively. Because if you spend two months writing a business plan, if you work out how much money you need to borrow, if you take a loan out and you go into debt to launch your business, and then you buy all the products, you buy all the service, you have to have everything just right before you launch it. You get everything just right. Then you launch it. Then you try and sell and you're six months in and you're 20 grand down. And if it goes wrong at that point, that is failing expensively and failing slowly. And we talk about the exact opposite of this principle, exact opposite, which is fail fast and fail cheap. So don't buy the product, don't have everything ready, offer it to someone and see if they buy. If they buy, you have a customer, you have a business, you're successful. If no one buys, well, we've lost some time, energy, and a little bit of ego, and we can live with that. And as Casey says, we can still go home for tea or dinner if you're not northern.
2: That's my measure for everything in life. Can I go in for my tea? <laughs> I, um, I think that the, the fail fast, fail cheap. You know what? I'm, I'm, everyone I say is incredibly important. It's so important. And the thing that I, I really focus on here is the cheap, fail cheap. If we attach big money to anything, even if it's a, um, if it's our savings or if we inherited some money and we use that money, never mind about a loan, which is just a nightmare. Um, but if we attach big money to anything, The overthink and the overworry, we can worry it to death. And once we start overthinking and overworrying, that's when we start to go slower. And we start to think, is this the right email? Is this the right person I should send this email? What if they say no? And what should I write in this line to here? And should I put kind regards or regards at the end? Or should I send it on a Monday at five o'clock or a Tuesday? You know, Overthinking, because we've got so much riding on it. And that's why it's so important not to attach big money, not to go into debt, not to use our savings and do this as cheaply, as frugally as possible. So that as exactly as Alan says, the only thing that can go wrong is they don't reply. They say no, or they write back and say, don't call me, no, don't email me again. And it's just our ego. (laughs) It's just a bit of ego and um, I've got a lot of it. So I can use, I can uh, can spare a bit. (laughs) I can spare a bit if it doesn't go so well. But, yeah, so the cheap thing is really important. And the word failure, I think, in our, you know, in the way that the word failure is banded around as well, it's such an emotive, powerful word. And it's usually people who point at people who are trying something new. And, you know, that's a failure, you know, and you've failed at that. It's such a powerful thing to say, and it's such a nasty, negative word. Um, and it's normally people who point at other people who are trying new things or having a go. And they'll say, that's just a failure. You've failed so many times. And I think we just need to take that away. I think failure is part of starting a business. Those failures, those things that don't go well are part of it. It is, you know, it's just because the people that point and judge don't understand. They're not the ones who are starting the business. They're not the ones who are changing the world. They're not the ones who are changing their own lives. You know, you are. And part of that, things will go wrong. Things won't work the way that you imagine them to but that's kind of okay. It's part of the process. So repositioning, um, reframing that word to actually be a good thing, taking the power of negativity away from it, I think is important.
0: I love that, Casey. Do you believe that every entrepreneur succeeds with their first business? Well, obviously not. No. But if you looked at entrepreneurs, how many times do you think they start things that don't work out before they start the one that's properly successful?
2: Constantly, even the famous entrepreneurs or the you know our regular you know everyday people, everyday people like us, loads of things go wrong. Loads of things go wrong, and you've got to try things to see if it works. We can't see into the future. The only way we'll know if something will work is to give it a go. Which means that that the the more things you give a go, then they're not all going to work. Not everything works, and it takes courage. It takes courage to try new things because it may not go well, and people may look at you and say, "Oh." Failed again then. Um, so the famous entrepreneurs have tried all sorts of things. Not so famous ones like um, Simon and yourself. I'm sure you've tried all sorts of different <laughs> businesses. <laughs> I I have failed many times. loads of things. Yeah. Me too. Yep. Me too. And uh, it's part and parcel of it. Oh, that didn't work. And I suppose the other thing is to think of what's it designed to teach you? You know, when things go wrong, what's the lesson here? What do I have to learn from it? So it's noticing things as well. Noticing what went wrong, why it didn't work. You know, could you do things better, differently? Who did you speak to? How did you start? Well, you know, really look at it and think and notice what can I learn from this if it didn't go well.
0: So, the second principle was fail fast and fail cheap. If it's going to go wrong, make it go wrong quickly and inexpensively. Don't take a lot of time over failure and get into a lot of debt, which actually brings us on to principle number three, which is a huge part of Pop Up and. Katie Coombs and I did an entire episode on this in season one, which was sell your value before you create it. So that's season one, episode 10, if you want to check this out. But sell your value before you create it builds very nicely on fail fast and fail cheap because what we're saying with this principle is don't wait until the product is ready. Don't wait until the service is completely designed. Don't wait until you've built everything to sell it sell it first. And then if you get a customer, build it and deliver it. Why would you ever build something that you don't know if you can sell? So for me, this is one of the most critical things. If I've got a new idea I want to test, first thing I do is knock up a one page website or maybe a flyer or some information and then i go around and tell people about it and see if they will give me money for it and the money is the critical bit here in sell your value before you create it because if you're not asking for money people will be nice to you and lots of business coaches talk about market research go and ask people if they would buy here's the bit you go to your friends and you say what do you think here's my idea What are they going to say? Nah, it's a rubbish idea. Don't do it. No, they're going to be supportive and nice to you. They're going to say, Why don't you have a go? See what happens. I think it's nice. As soon as someone says they think your idea is good, that is your cue to lean in, stare them in the eyes, and say, Ah, actually, I have one in the trunk of my car or the boot if you're English. And you say, Would you like to buy it? It's $20. And you stare at them. And It is at the moment that you ask for money, that is the moment of truth, when you will get the real answer. Until you ask someone to take their purse or their wallet out of their pocket and give you money, they will be nice to you. So stop messing about and start asking for the cash. That is where you really know if your business idea will work or not.
2: I love that, Alan. And just as you're saying it, you're making me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) which i think is what you wanted to do i've realized how uncomfortable you make me feel because it's really challenging what you've just said yes of course once you start asking people for money that's the uncomfortable moment isn't it everyone's it's easy to ask people would you like to buy one years ago we uh, a friend of mine, sarah and i were going to start a coffee shop in a very swish suburb called didsbury in manchester and uh, we wrote a business plan it was beautiful the business plan Uh, we'd laminated the front cover. We had an accountant friend do spreadsheets. I have no idea what was on them, but they look great. And, um, we had the whole thing. We we designed the logo. We designed the aprons. We'd worked out, you know, a rotor. We'd worked out how much every sugar was going to cost when people put sugar in their coffee. And for a time we stood outside the unit that we were going to lease. The unit, I think was 40,000 pounds a year, 40 grand a year. And we asked people, would they buy a cappuccino? Yeah, would you buy a cappuccino? Would you buy a latte? Would you buy a croissant with that latte? Oh, yes. Everybody we asked, everybody said, yeah, oh, yeah, because they're all very polite in Didsbury. Yeah, oh, yeah I'd, buy, yeah, I'd buy one every morning at 8 o'clock. Would you? Oh, great. So we put all that down. We put that in our business plan because everybody said they'd buy. We didn't ask anybody for any money. We didn't get uncomfortable. We smiled and had nice chats with people about the potential that they may buy in the future thank god we didn't start that business because we would have say a huge loan so we convinced ourselves not to do it in the end it's interesting before you ask for the money everybody is very polite and gives you good feedback though there are certain people in, in my family when i've told them about business ideas and they've gone done that sucking the teeth thing you know i'm not sure about that there's lots of them katie you can get them everywhere Yeah, but, you know, I don't know about that. You know, sometimes you get those people. But yeah, definitely once you start to ask for the cash, it gets uncomfortable. And um, getting the cash up front, using your customer's cash to fund your business, that's really simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy, but it's it's a simple thing to do if you think about it.
0: It really is. Simon, have you had any experience with asking for the money before you're ready?
1: That's all I do now. (laughs) Now (laughs) it is. Yeah, it wasn't in the old days. But I think the challenge for us all to think about here is fear will trick us into thinking that we need more than we actually need before we can sell. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you'll probably remember one of the people that came to one of our Welsh courses who'd spent 18 months writing a training course. And when she went to sell the training course, nobody wanted it. We already have that. We don't want that. But what we do want is a training course on this or this. Have you got one of those? And I think she stared at herself in the mirror for a good sort of 48 hours. She might have headbutted it a few times because she'd spent 18 months creating something that nobody wanted. And if I think about some of the training courses that we sold over the years, Alan, where it's actually a list of bullet points, (laughs) you've shared with a client and I've done the same. Um, Here's a list of 25 courses that we could run, 25 course ideas. And the course isn't written yet. In fact, we've got no idea what we're going to deliver, but we're pitching off the back of a sentence, off the back of the strength of a relationship. So we've built trust. We've had some chats. We've given them the confidence that it doesn't matter what they buy from us. It's going to rock. Here's a list of ideas. And if you want to buy one of these, then we'll go and make it.
0: That's exactly the way I do it, Simon. I remember one of my first big clients ever was Microsoft, and I delivered a course for them called Coaching for Presence, where I taught charisma, presence in presenting, how to connect with people, and I wanted to expand my business. So instead of writing a course, I went to them with just a list of titles and said, here, which one do you fancy? And I tell you what, I never pick the one that they actually pick. I'm always surprised every time. They go, I want this one, Alan. And I go, I would not have guessed you want that one. And that teaches me that I don't know until I ask the customer. So I think at the heart of this is asking the customer what they actually want. Which I think this could bring us on to the fourth principle, Simon. Which if it's okay, I'm going to delve into your principles. I'd love you to introduce sell something to someone. Because that... That kind of just builds on what we're saying, I think.
1: Well, Alan, I would have described that one as the secret of business, Um, but you've ruined that because you've told everyone now. Uh, So that means (laughs) I have to talk. It's supposed to be a secret. You can't just ban this stuff around. And As you know, I I ran a government-funded business advisory service in in the UK, and what was fascinating to me was the number of people that were giving business advice that didn't talk about sales. It's Um, shocking. And I think... You know, when we're running this at the course, we actually I, I look at people and go, right, and I lower my voice and say, right, can you close the curtains, shut that door at the back there, I don't want anyone listening in on this, uh, because I'm about to deliver the number one secret in business that they won't teach you anywhere else, and everyone goes, oh, this is exciting, and they all kind of lean in, and I pause for a bit, and then I go, sell something to someone. Thank you very much, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed the pop-up business school. We'll see you next time. And then I walk <laughs> off. And then I, like, oh, right. Is that all you're getting then? You know, because the thing for me is that we do get bamboozled with all of the stuff around the outside of a business. You know what I mean? The, the logo design, what goes on my website, what my business is going to be called. Do I need a business bank account? All of that stuff that goes alongside running a business. And it's important stuff. But actually, you, you don't need any of that stuff if you haven't got a customer. And I think, you know, the early days of running a business for me was I needed to make sure I have my company set up. I've got my bank account stuff. I've got a plan. I know which direction I'm going in. I've got my website. I've got my social media. I need all of these things in place. And then I will go and do it. Whereas actually, if you reverse engineer that and say, well, I don't need any of that stuff until I make a sale. So let me focus on selling first. Oh, look, I've made a sale. Right now I need some insurance or now I need a mechanism for them to pay me. So I think that to me is about, it's about saying to people, what do I need to focus my effort and energy on first? And I think this is one of the key bits that's different about the model that we teach because the traditional approach says you've got to get your ducks in a row. You need to get your ducks in a row before you can launch a business. Well, actually what we say is, well, you don't know you've got a business yet. Go run an experiment. And it's a sales experiment that's low risk, zero cost or low cost. Go and run that sales experiment first. There's no greater feeling than when you've got someone else's money in your hands or in your bank account. A, that you're allowed to keep, and B that you haven't stolen. So let's (laughs) let's focus on that bit. (laughs) Let's focus on on that bit first. And I think, you know, when people say, look, I'm stuck, I'm not getting the results that I want from my business. There are three core questions that I'll ask straight away. Number one, do you know what you're selling? Have you picked one product or one service or one kind of area? Because lots of people try and do lots of things at once. And that's usually out of fear or confusion. Or it's you're, you're a creative and you like to do lots of things at once. But you know, to get the results that you want, I need to know what you're selling and who you're selling it to. That's the second question. Who's your target customer? Because you're probably trying to sell to everybody. Because we all do it because we, we're scared that we're missing out on sales opportunities if we focus on a niche. And th- there's lots of debate over whether to niche or whether not to niche. For me, if you're not clear about who you're trying to reach for your outbound marketing you know the the action that you're going to take, if you don't know who you're trying to hit, how can you hit them? You don't know. So to start with, know what you're selling and who you're selling it to. And that underpins this what we pitch as the secret of businesses to sell something to someone and everything else follows after that.
0: And I think it's incredible when you look at business advice. And um, if you Google how do I start a business, one of the first things that comes up is entrepreneur.com. And their article has 12 steps to starting a business. Do you know what number sales is, Simon?
1: I, do you know what? I don't read that article anymore because it, it makes me feel like a little bit of sick comes up in my mouth every time I read it. <laughs> so I've stopped Googling that. But I go on, tell me. It's step 11. Step 11.
0: So they end with sales, whereas we start with sales. And I think it's fascinating that most of the business education out there says get everything ready and then sell. And what we're saying is don't have anything ready. Let's go and talk to some real life customers and try and sell them something because you will learn more in those moments than you will ever imagine. Just get out of your comfort zone go and sell it before you create it and sell something to someone. And if it sells, you've got a business. If it doesn't sell, we've had an experiment, we've learned, and we'll move on to the next thing. Yeah, Casey, do you have anything to add on sell something to somebody? Oh, I do. I do. (laughs) Um, Of course you do.
2: I think that when you're starting the idea that the sales thing, for many people, is uncomfortable. And you you just touched on it there, and we kind of avoid it a little bit. We look away because sales is sometimes, I think, still considered a little bit of a dirty word. It's a little bit like, oh, I'm not in sales. Oh no, sales isn't isn't what I do. I'm a creative, or I have my own business. Um, and sales is not everybody thinks this, but it's one of those jobs that you don't really want to do. Oh, I don't want to be. I don't want to be a sales rep. I don't want to work. I don't want to work at a call center. That's sales. I've got my own business. And actually, fundamentally, it's sales. The minute you start selling something, that's when your business exists. That's when it starts happening. Up until that point, it's just thoughts, really. They're just thoughts. They're just plans. They're just fantasies. So finding that customer and the minute the, the, the transaction happens or the sale has been agreed, the business exists. And as you say, and at that point, you work out how to deliver it. At that point, you sort of punch the air. Yes, it's got a sale. And then maybe the reality hits you that you think, oh, bloody hell! I've got to, um, I've got to make it. I've got to work out what to do. I've got to write it. I've got to deliver it. I've got to produce it. And there's a bit. It can be uncomfortable again because you, the reality of, oh my god! I've got to make this happen now. And and for one of our businesses, I would pitch to clients, and uh, we'd go in there with uh, PowerPoint presentations and films, and we do a formal pitch. And then we'd hear that we'd won, not all the time, but sometimes we'd win. And for the for maybe three or four minutes, it's absolutely amazing. Oh my God, this fantasy, these, uh, these uh, visuals that we put together, somebody's bought into them. And it's a wonderful feeling. And I try and bottle that feeling and try to tap into it sometimes to remind myself that feeling what it's like when somebody buys something. And then of course, reality kicks in and you've got to make it happen. But I also remind myself that pretty much every time I've won something without it existing, or I've made a sale without that actual product or service existing, pretty much 90, over 90% of the times I've managed to deliver it somehow. So trust yourself to be able to do it. And the more that you do it, the more you'll trust yourself too. So yeah, I uh, head of sales. Uh, That's what you are. That's what business is about, selling stuff.
0: I love that because you've actually hit on one of the biggest dichotomies of business is we're telling everyone to go out and sell but they all go ooh sales that's a dirty word and then they don't do it. So that's one of the biggest things to overcome and we're going to be doing a lot more of that in the sales series. So we've got a series of episodes coming up in season 2 all about sales because that is where you've got to start with your business. So that is principle 4 sell something to somebody. KC, would you like to bring us on to the next one? Okay, my next principle is spend as
2: much time building your confidence as you do building your business. At Popper Business School, when we, um, when we start on the first day, we ask a challenging question. We say to people, what's stopping you? And when I do it, I, I pause again and I say, no, really, really, honestly, think about it, be honest with yourself, what's stopping you? What's stopping you start your business? What's stopping you move forward? Now, I ask that question at every single pop-up business school that I've done, and I know that you two have too. And every single time, I'd say that at least 25% of people in the room or on the Zoom, as we do it now on Zoom, say it's confidence. Confidence stops. In fact, I did one recently in Northern uh, in Yorkshire, in England, and 50% of the participants said it was confidence that was stopping them start their business. Confidence and fear. So our principle here is to spend as much time building your confidence as you do building your business. Now, when we say building your confidence, I think that when I have these conversations with people about it at Pop-Up Business School, when participants ask me and they say, how do you build your confidence? Some people are just confident, aren't they? Some people just got it. They're just, you know, we we all know those people, don't we? The the people that just have that confidence, you know? (laughs) It just seems to come out of them. They don't seem to, it's effortless. And I believe there are people that, that do have that kind of effortless confidence. You may be one of those people. I would say that, you know, Alan Simon, to me, you seem incredibly confident, both of you. Yet so many of us struggle with confidence. I struggle with confidence and there are two things two tips that um Alan, uh you taught me when you when we first uh when I first started working with pop up business school two hacks that i use on a daily basis and i i talk about this at every single pop up business school the idea that you can work on your confidence using these two tips so rather than be confident you just do confidence have you heard that where you do confidence Because I would consider myself, and if I had to label myself as an introvert, as somebody who didn't naturally have confidence. So I purposely, I've done that thing again where I live on purpose, I purposely do things on a daily basis to help my confidence so I can do confidence. And these two things are, number one, it's what I focus on, what I'm thinking about. I focus every single day on the good, what I've got, not what I haven't got. What's going well for me? I'm an optimist. I purposely think about positive things. I do it every single day. People do this and they call it, you know, gratitude. We all have different words for it. It doesn't matter what you call it, but the idea that you do this every single day. So every day I wake up, I think, oh God, great. It's Tuesday. I'm never going to get this day again. And I, I do this and I actually say it out loud and it kind of annoys the family a little bit. But I'm like, come on, it's it's... <laughs> It's um after days it. it's Thursday, you're never going to get this day again. It's Thursday. This is the youngest I'm ever going to be. What a great thing. I love Thursdays. And I just start this narrative. sometimes I say it out loud and sometimes it's just privately. So I focus on what I've got, what I haven't got. I focus on the good, and I purposely put myself in a positive frame of mind. That helps with my confidence. And I can't just do this every other day or every third Tuesday. I do this every single day. and I find that that really helps, makes me feel better, makes me happier. And when I feel happy, I feel more confident. And when you feel happy, you just feel more confident about life. Confidence is such a superpower. It really is such a superpower. You think when you feel confident, what you can achieve, what you can achieve and those moments when you feel great confidence, it makes you super powerful. So every day, focusing on the good, what you've got, focusing on the positive, not being a blind optimist. I'm not one of those who just thinks everything's fine when it's not. You still face challenges, but if you face challenges with a positive mindset, that can really help you overcome them. So what you focus on is, is key. And two, to help with your confidence, is how you move it's your body, your physiology. You know, if I think of how my body would be doing if I was feeling down and miserable and not very confident, I would kind of be hunched up. I don't know, I bent over. I'm doing it now as I'm speaking to you. Probably the tone of my voice might change, kind of down and and hunched up. And actually, if I sit up straight, I can breathe better. I can get the air to all, you know, the, the lower part of my lungs. I can feel better. I feel brighter. If I change my energy, so if I dance, if I stand tall, there's a thing in, in public speaking called, you know, the power pose, where you stand up straight and you put your hands on your hips, it's a little bit like a Superman pose. You feel more powerful. And there's, there's evidence, you know, it's Gillian um, John Root, uh, experty experts. I think Simon will know what I'm talking about. There's experty experts here who will tell you that there is science that backs this up. If we move our bodies in a certain way, it gives us more confidence. We can lead our feelings with our bodies. So stand up straight, sit up straight, breathe. This will change how you feel. Correct yourself. I walk down the street sometimes and I don't know about if, if it's just me, but I'll, I'll look in the, uh, the shop window. Do you ever do that? Just look at a reflection of yourself in the shop window.
0: You're not on your own <laughs> and, there. Yes, I do.
2: <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll have a look and I'll think, oh my God, I'm bent over. So I just straighten up. You just feel better. So I do these two things, these two hacks. And Alan, you taught me these. It's it's what you focus on and how you move affects how you feel. And really, the more you do it, the more confident you feel. Because confident is this superpower. When you feel confident, when something goes well, something else goes well too. So work on this. Do this every day and watch and notice how your life will change for the better and how your business will go better how the conversations you have with customers will go better, how your sales calls will go better. Smile, dance, think of the good stuff, enjoy yourself. That's where the confidence is. That's my confidence bit there.
0: I love that, Casey. That's fantastic. And I think you're right. People do look at other people and go, oh, they're so confident. I wish I had their confidence. And I get that all the time. People look at me on stage performing for pop-up and delivering the message, or they hear me and they think, well, he's just confident. He's just got it. What they don't realize is I built my confidence. The version of Alan that exists today was built. I was the shyest kid you could meet. Couldn't talk to strangers. I remember one particularly painful incident in a Chinese restaurant where there was a guy playing at the piano. I must have been, I don't know, four or five. And my parents wanted me to go up to the guy playing the piano and say, will you play this song? And I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. They pressured me. They pressured me. I sat in my chair crying. I couldn't talk to strangers. And the confidence I have today is built. And I think that's a really important thing for people to realize is you're not born confident. Well, actually, you're born confident and you probably unlearn it through different things. And then you've got to rediscover your confidence. You've got to rediscover that and you've got to build it again. And it's up to you to build your own confidence. (sighs) What a principle that one is. Build your own confidence. So let's move on to the final principle of episode one, which is mini experiments. And you probably all know this is one of my favorite subjects. We've kind of touched on this today. It builds on all of the different principles we've had today. That Everything you want is outside your comfort zone. So let's get out there and fail fast and fail cheap. Let's sell your value before you create it. Let's sell something to somebody. Build your confidence and then launch a mini-experiment. And what Simon, I, and Casey mean by mini-experiment is you decide on a product or a service, you decide on a market, and then you go and pitch it and sell it to them. If it works, you get a customer and you get a business. If it doesn't work, you get a lesson, you get some learning, and you have another go. And we did have an episode in season one all about mini-experiments, uh, I did it with Simon about the secret power of mini experiments. And we're going to be doing a lot more on how specifically you do mini experiments in season two as well. But this is one of the core fundamental principles that the Pop-Up Business School teaches is run an experiment. And that, ta- that word experiment releases a lot of the pressure on whether the business has to work or not, because you're just running an experiment We've got a hypothesis that we think this will sell. Let's run an experiment and see if our hypothesis is correct and anyone buys. Simon, mini experiments.
1: What are your thoughts? I quite often get asked the question, what do you actually teach people at the pop-up business school? And I'll say, well, look, it's a two-week course. I couldn't sum it up in one sentence. But If I was to sum it up into one sentence, it would be... You've just got to start small. And I think we see lots of people that are paralyzed by the possibilities of a business idea. You know, someone says like, I'm thinking of, uh, of launching my coaching business and I could run workshops and seminars. I want to do weekend retreats. I'm going to do one-to-one coaching. I've got a product range and I'm going to do a blog and I'm going to do a video channel. Uh, and they get paralyzed because that is just overwhelming. And lots and lots of folk have that. And that's because... There's a lot of smart people out there. You can see the possibilities. Mini experiments for me is going back to that principle about selling something to someone. A mini experiment is to start small and pick something and go, I'm going to sell this to this sort of people and now I'm going to take massive action to go and reach them and I'm going to try lots of different ways to fail fast and fail cheap and promote. And that, the word promote is for me is the how-to. If I say to someone, fail fast and fail cheap, and they go, well, how do I do that? Well, you need to promote the hell out of what you're doing. You don't have the right to say that your business idea isn't working until you can look at me in the face and look at yourself in the face, more importantly, and go, I've thrown everything in the kitchen sink at promoting this business idea. I've, I don't do one Facebook message, do 50. You know, don't make one phone call, make a thousand. I go out there and sell it and see what happens. And then from that experience, you've launched your first mini experiment and then you can refine it as you go. And actually, you know, when we launched the pop-up business school in 2012, that was a mini experiment. You had a client from some of the stuff that you were doing. We pitched to him. He liked it. And, <laughs> and we ran an experiment. We didn't know if it was going to work or not. We didn't even set out to build a business. That's the funny bit. We just said, look, we quite like working together. We've got a bunch of ideas that can help a whole bunch of people. Let's go and test it, and find someone to buy it, and that's where this business began.
0: Casey, mini experiments. What's your take on
2: this subject? At the start of a business, a mini experiments. It is a mini experiment. I get. I understand the point that Simon was making. And um, just as you were speaking, it's making me think that actually, as you, once you get going, the whole thing is a number of experiments at any one time. So even if you look at the big tech companies or the big companies now, and, and even though that may be not something that you want to build, you can still look for some of the clues that they're doing. So everybody, everybody from Amazon to Instagram to Facebook, those big tech companies are constantly running mini experiments to see if functionality works, different types of functionality in different areas with different demographics. They're constantly experimenting with things and they're looking at the results. And if it works in one area, then they'll, they'll roll it out. So the big companies are doing it. This idea that we are constantly testing, constantly learning, and then working out what works and rolling it out. And that's how we start. And that's why we must get away from this idea of failure, because they're experiments, they're tests. We're testing the market. We're testing what we can do. What do people want? How do we serve? How do we deliver? we're testing all the time. And the first, at that moment of startup, that's the first experiment. And you will continue to experiment. You'll continue to test and work out what works and
0: what doesn't. And that's part of running a business. I love that, Casey. Absolutely. So it's all about getting out there and running some many experiments and seeing how it goes. So look, that's the first six principles that we could deliver today. There's normally 12. We're going to save The second six for episode two. There's a few bits I wanted to do before we go. And right at the end of the episode, Simon, Casey, I'm going to come back to you for your closing thought for the audience. So just have that in mind. Before we do that, I asked for feedback from you, the audience. On season one. And season one launched on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you in 2020. We did 25 episodes in season one and there were 80,000 downloads, which is incredible. So, on average, 3,100 of you listened to each and every episode, which is incredible for the mini experiment that was season one. And your feedback and energy has inspired us to do season two. And I did want to say thank you to Brad, Jonathan, and Ed at ChooseFI. They are the people that believed in us, helped us launch this podcast and build it. ChooseFI, thank you for your continued support. And if you're listening to this and want to know more about financial independence and money, make sure you go and listen to their podcast. It is a fantastic podcast. So a couple of little thoughts for you. The most valuable episode that you said of season one was Five Ways to Start a Business with No Debt, and it was also one of our most listened to episodes. As listeners, 72% of you listened to over 20 episodes of season one. So I think that's an incredible retention rate. So thank you so much for listening and being part of it. Your feedback on the length of episode was interesting nearly all of you said the length of episode doesn't matter as long as the quality of the content is good. So we are going to focus heavily on that and we'll record until we think there's no more and we will give you the best content we possibly can. And when we asked you what format of episodes you enjoyed the most, actually interestingly it was the episodes such as this one where we go through the pop up principles where we deliver content and value where we have the ways to market the ways to sell this was what you enjoyed the most and the second one was the coaching episodes where we actually took those principles with real life people and applied them to their businesses so that is going to be a big focus for season 2 and i've got a new announcement coming up for that in a moment and We asked you what the top areas you need in business and it came out very clearly that sales and marketing are the top two areas you want support with. So in the coaching series, in the episodes, Casey, Simon and I and the people we work with are going to work very hard to give you tips, tools, techniques and ideas to help you in your sales and marketing. And the other main areas that came up were personal motivation time management, self-development, and networking. So we're going to do a lot around getting things done, motivation, self-development, and learning. And Simon and I have got a whole series on self-development. I'm planning a time management series that will come through the podcast. So I'm going to be delivering exactly what you asked for. When asked, what could you change or improve? The number one piece of feedback was you didn't like the intro to the podcast with the cheesy American tone. Uh, so you can probably hear from the start, we've changed that. Uh, let me know if you think you like that one. Uh, so Jenna P actually said, the one thing we could improve is the American game show style intro, not at all aligned with the down to earth, genuine tone of the podcast. To be honest, when I first heard, I was close to moving on to try another podcast. Perhaps it was the unexpected British accent interjecting that gave me a clue there was something more to be found. And then she goes on to say, I'm very glad that I stayed with it, as almost every episode has been able to help me take practical steps and decisions about my business. So we'll be changing that. We'll change the intro. We're going to work on more coaching episodes and we're going to work to make it as practical as we possibly can. So thank you so much for the feedback. It's so important to us that you tell us what you love and what you don't, and we will work to make this better for you. A couple of update things from us. Number one, Pop-Up Business School is actually rebranding, and we're going to be called Rebel Business School from now on, which is a very exciting development, which Simon and I will tell you more about as we go forwards. We'll get some new branding for the podcast. I've been building a home for the podcast at alandonnegan.com. And if you want to see the results of the survey from season one, go to alandonnegan.com, look at the Rebel Podcast section, and you will find that feedback so you can see what people said and what we're doing about it. And coming up... In season two of The Rebel Entrepreneur, the second episode will be the second half of these six principles with Casey and Simon. Episode three, I'm so excited. I've got one of the co founders of Starbucks telling the story of how he made the furniture for his first ever store in his parents' basement. Talk about bootstrapping. And I think sometimes we forget that even the biggest businesses in the world started in a basement, they started in a garage, they started small which actually brings us on to episode four, which we've got a Silicon Valley innovation expert called Jennifer Vessels. She's worked with Google, Adobe, and amazing companies. And I'm super excited because she will be busting the myths of Silicon Valley and talking about what starting a business really is, how to innovate, how to do it quickly. And then I'm super excited about episode five. Jennifer very kindly came back and I was thinking, what's the strangest business or what's the most opposite of a high-tech business that I could ask an innovation coach from Silicon Valley to coach? And my head immediately went to, it's a craft business from Reading in Berkshire. I think that's the most opposite I could find. So in episode five, Jennifer is going to be taking those principles from Silicon Valley and coaching Adam from Craft Box Club in Reading, in Berkshire, how to grow his business. And it's fascinating hearing that the principles of business fit with these different things. And then we've got so much more coming, so much more coming. We've got a sales series, a marketing series, a getting things done series, a self development series. And I guess the biggest announcement is we are going to be launching a series of episodes that will come out on Thursday that are a coaching series. So the Monday we'll have the main podcast episode and on the Thursday there will be a second episode and the first set of episodes we're working with a wonderful lady called Christina and I've been coaching her over the last five months with her business, how to grow it, how to sell and you will hear her talking about her challenges, whether to leave her full-time employment, whether to start her business, whether to go all in, what to do. And the lessons from the main podcast will be applied actively to a real-life business. That's what you asked for, is how does this stuff work in real life? And I'm really excited to have Christina on those episodes. They'll be slightly shorter Thursday episodes where I highlight some of the key principles, and you can hear how they're applied to real business so we've got so much coming up for you this year i'm so excited simon do you have a closing thought for the audience of the rebel entrepreneur
1: sell something to someone
0: mic drop that's it get out and sell i love that casey what's your closing thought for the audience
2: i've been thinking about a thing called a hundred yard thinking recently so the idea is when you're driving at night you have your headlights on And you can see around about 100 yards, I think. And that's all you need to see because you can see enough ahead of you. So if you need to stop, you can stop. If you need to turn left, you can turn left. You don't need to see the whole road all the time. You just need to see in front of you. So put one foot in front of the other, get going, get started and get moving. If you can see 100 yards, that's all you need to see.
0: I love that, Casey. And I think we're all saying the same message here. Get out there, take action, make things happen. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur and please let us all know how those mini experiments go. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a Rebel Entrepreneur.